apocalypsis. And this whole idea of, um, you know, this expression that's part of this, either uh, here it's translated as from, in some places you will see it translated of, either one. Uh, you can really understand that in a couple of different ways if you think about it. It could be a re that it's a revelation about Jesus, who's clearly the central figure of the book. Um, it could be that it's a revelation coming from Jesus, or that it's a revelation both about and from Jesus. Now, again, you know, and we're, you probably hear this a lot, this whole idea of most scholars, um, but most scholars favor the idea that the revelation in this book is about Jesus, okay? And they get that because the, there's an immediate context in these verses that says, you know, God has given this revelation to Jesus, who then sends his angel to proclaim it to John, all right? But the third option of being both about and from kind of looks at the larger context of the entire book, right? Um, where you see, you know, sort of both of those things developing as you go through um, the various uh, other verses of the book. So kind of subjective, uh, but I think the, the first option is the one that the scholars tend to uh, agree with most, that it is a book about Jesus. Then the second sentence is to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting because we have this word soon. The revelation deals with what must soon take place. Now, it's generally thought that, you know, John is kind of drawing on the words that appear in Daniel uh, 2, 28 and 29, where Daniel sees things as happening in the last days. Okay, and so John substitutes soon for the last days really to emphasize that he and we are living in the last days. So the last days are not something that are coming, they're something that are here, and it now is the time that Old Testament prophecy is now beginning to be fulfilled. And so the thing to remember is that by soon, John doesn't mean necessarily mean quickly once it starts, it just is emphasizing and stressing that there is a fulfillment of prophecy that has already begun and that the end is always imminent, right? Our end physically is always imminent. We could walk out of here, get in a car, and get hit, you know. So, so God in this book is revealing his plan to overthrow evil once and for all and deliver his people into the new heaven and new earth where they can enjoy life in his presence forever. Next, we have the sentence that he made it known. And so this is sort of showing us that there's this chain of revelation that took place in this book. It's God to Jesus, to his angel, to his servant John, and then on to other servants, right, the rest of us. And so God and Christ together sort of communicate this visionary message through an angel to John, and then finally it goes out to the rest of, uh, of the believers. And it's not uncommon in apocalyptic literature that God is communicating 
these kinds of messages through angels. And the angels often assist the person who's hearing this to really understand you know, what this is that's, that's going on. Now, the Apostle John was certainly well-respected as an early Christian leader. But what is sort of interesting is that he really characterizes himself here only as a servant among servants. And servant is one of the most prominent terms for Christians throughout this entire book. They're generally referred to as servants. And so John gets honor here, not necessarily because he's clinging to some title of authority, but because he's identifying with fellow believers about their suffering. And I think this also speaks to the idea about how this revelation is communicated. And this is important from the standpoint of some of the, um, the words and the pictures that we're going to get into a little bit later on. Because uh, in the context of Daniel 2, God communicated through symbols, all right? So, like, for example, Daniel 2.23 says, I thank you, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, you have made it known uh, to us the dream of the king. And then in Daniel 2.45, it says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. And so, just as God has communicated through symbols in his words to Daniel, he's communicating to John in the same way. And the word that he uses in this word made known is the word um, semeino in the Greek. And it means, uh, well, it really just suggests that the revelation was occurring through some sort of symbolic communication. Okay, you can sort of see signs uh, that coming out of that as a root. And so there's this idea of picture language that is sort of embedded in this term. We're also told that Christ shows the vision to his servants through an angel. Okay? And so this whole cluster of terms, revelation, show, made known, can indicate that the visions of revelation were communicated by means of symbols. And that's really how we should interpret the book, right? He gives us these pictures, all right? And so that is somewhat of a, uh, a clue when we start to get into what some of these things mean. You know, are they literal or are they, is it a picture symbol representing something else, okay? Then we have John who specifies. <coughs> and really all I wanted to say here was that you know, because of John's faithfulness in not only having this experience, but really writing it all down. That's how he can testify to everything that he saw. And see, once again, we have that idea of seeing something, not necessarily hearing what's going to happen, but seeing pictures of it. And so there's an idea that God works through both heavenly visions and through spirit-inspired human minds. Because the content of what John saw were, were, was both the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now those phrases are kind of synonymous, but they both describe the idea that God's great story is communicated through prophets and apostles and especially center on the gospel, <coughs> the gospel itself. And then finally, 
this term blessed is the, this is verse three, blessed is the one and blessed are those. Now there are, there are seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation, seven blessings. That's really what beatitude means. And this is the first one. And in this case, it's a double blessing. It's a blessing on the one who has the ability and courage to read aloud the book of Revelation to the gathered church and it's a blessing on those who gather to listen to its message and obey what they hear. And so the context here is that in the first century, they generally believed that the uh, illiteracy rate was as high as 85%. So there were very few people who could even read. Um, and nobody had their own copy, you know, like we do now, where we've probably got 17 of these at home. Uh, in various translations. Um, and so as a result of all that, this idea of the public reading of Scripture became a priority, especially during worship, so people could actually know, you know, what does God's Word say? And so, interestingly enough, in this book, John really expects not only people to hear this prophecy, but to obey it. And so it emphasizes the nature of the book as a proclamation of God's truth with some ethical implications associated with it. It's not just simply a prediction of what's going to happen in the future. All right, so that's sort of the context for this. Now let's look at a few points of application here. And the first one I'd like to make is that we have hope because God has spoken and continues to speak about his plans for human history Plans that center on Jesus Christ. All right. Now, it's really important that we connect this opening chapter with what we're going to see in chapters 2 and 3 in particular. Because much of what the seven churches in Asia Minor were facing are things that we're dealing with now too. And, you know, whether it's this seductive pull of culture you know, it's kind of drawing us in, or some kind of stronger opposition from the culture towards what we believe in. And so we have to remember that the foundation of our hope lies not in our own circumstances, but in God's faithfulness to speak and act in Jesus, including the promise to one day make all things new. And if you only remember one thing about this message today, here's what I hope it is. Ultimately, it does not matter who the President of the United States is because God's plan centers on Jesus. Amen. All right? Sometimes we kind of tend to forget this. <laughs> you know... We sort of lose sight of this. And then, you know, you'll hear people say stuff like, well, if so-and-so is elected, then that's just the end of this country. See, and the deal is they're getting the main character in the story completely wrong. It would be like reading the Harry Potter books <laughs> and, and with the idea that Hagrid is actually the main character in the book. It would be confusing, wouldn't it? if you thought that, or watching Star Wars and somehow thinking that C-3PO is the central character. You would be like, well, why hasn't he got more dialogue? 
what we're focusing on is important. See, years ago, the most serious distraction for drivers might have been, you know, finding a decent radio station or dealing with the kids who were fighting in the back seat. And so, but now, in our age of smartphones, we have texting, status updates, phone calls, 10,000 songs to choose from, and kids fighting in the back seat. And so, I can imagine that probably more of us than would be willing to admit have had this kind of an experience. We're driving by, our, by ourselves and we get a text message. And against our better judgment, we take our eyes off the road and we quickly shoot back a little reply. And in the process of doing that, some of us might have actually looked up and realized, ooh, I'm across the center line. Or I just about ran a stoplight. And it's at that moment that reality sort of sinks in. And you think, wow, my focus was totally misplaced. I am not at home sitting on the couch. I'm driving a car. And so the same thing can happen to us if we lose focus on scripture about the end times, we're just, we're going to drift off course. And, and things that are really not priorities all of a sudden start to dominate our thinking. And so at best, this truth that is really intended to bring us hope and comfort all of a sudden becomes obscured and lost in the midst of all the other stuff. And then at worst, we start to drift off into these vain speculations about what might happen, and we take our eyes off of what our true mission is. And despite what our culture may say, God is not silent. He cares about what is happening to his people, and he is doing something about it. Now, vote for whoever you want to vote for. If you want to go out and campaign for him or her, great. Just don't attach more importance to this election than it deserves. All right? Second point. The, the prophetic vision has begun to be fulfilled but awaits final fulfillment. Therefore, we live in the last days with a sense of eschatological expectation. Do you remember the day when Tetris was one of the coolest video games in existence? See, the promise was, was the premise of the game was really pretty simple. You had these series of differently shaped blocks, and they would come down from the top. And the goal of all of this was that you had to line the blocks up like a puzzle. And then you, you got one whole row and it would drop down, right? But when you couldn't complete the row, it stayed and got started to build upon it. And so um, no matter how skilled you were as a player, there was always this game-changing moment as you were playing. And it was that moment when the block started to come more quickly than you could deal with 
And the whole margin of error thing shrank to just a hair's breadth. Well, the message of Revelation is that we are all living in the game-changing moment of history. Each day is significant and takes us closer to this imminent end. And we have a limited amount of time and fleeting opportunities to really live a life of faithfulness. And as we've said earlier, like John and the Christians in Asia Minor, we're really fighting the same battles, but also receiving the same comfort in this book as the first century believers did. Paul sums this whole mindset up pretty well in Romans 13, 11. He says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so the imminence of the final fulfillment of God's plan calls for us to live each day with a sense of urgency and abandonment to the purposes of God. As though it really were our last days. What was the country song that was so popular for a while, Live Like You Were Dying? You know, that's really what he's intending here. Is that, you know, you would do things differently if you knew you had five days to live. Right? But I want to say this as it relates to this point. There's a caution that is worth mentioning here at this point. And that is that um, the nearness of this final consummation should not be interpreted as uh, permission to engage in speculation or date setting about end time events. Okay. Jesus explicitly said it was not our job to know the times and dates set by the Father, but to do what we've been told to do as his church. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that in this same context where John is affirming the nearness of the time, he's also stressing the priority of testifying to Jesus. And then finally... This promised blessing is for those who listen to and obey God's word. And so here is just another opportunity to emphasize the important importance of not just knowing, but actually living out what God says. You know, it's an unfortunate fact that biblical illiteracy is a growing problem in our church. And one thing that we might, you know, want to consider is, you know, this whole idea of this ancient practice of listening to the scriptures, right? That's the way the church did it. They listened as the scriptures were read. Um, 
Maybe that's something that would not be a bad thing for us to do privately. There are a lot of apps and things you can get um, that, that actually will read. And in some cases, it's a more of a dramatic reading. So it's not just, you know, it'd be great if it was James Earl Jones, right, reading the scriptures. It's a wonderful, you know, voice. However, there are some that even take it a step further, and they have some fairly well-known um, modern actors reading out the scriptures. And so that might not be a bad discipline for us to engage in in this day, where, you know, we, we in addition to reading, you know, silently, maybe we listen as well. But listening by itself is not enough. The message has got to be taken to heart and actually lived out in practice. And what's sort of interesting that we'll see as we go through this is that this book of Revelation has got a lot to say about the idea of discipleship. And that's not something that you really hear talked about a whole lot but we're going to try to explore it in what we're doing here is to pull out this idea that there really is an awful lot about what we're supposed to be doing contained in this book, which is why John offers us this, um, you know, this sort of conditional blessing right, at the, right off the bat, right? You are blessed if you listen and obey what is said. And so... We've got to you know, get past this, this idea that the blessing, the blessing is not for someone who's engaging in all of these mind games about when is this going to happen and is this a sign and so on and so forth. That's not where the blessing comes. The blessing comes in the listening and obeying what it says. Following the lamb wherever he goes. So, Big idea. Each week we're going to have a big idea. Here's the big idea for the week. <coughs> Jesus Christ has revealed to his servant John a prophetic vision about God's plans for consummating human history <coughs> in a vision that will bring blessing for those who hear and obey its message. So just to sort of summarize what we just talked about, that's what it is. It's this idea that we have this vision and it's about how whole, the whole of history is going to finally wind up. And if we will listen and obey, there's a blessing involved in it. All right? So that's sort of the, the introduction for these first three verses. And so what we're going to do next week, we're going to look at five more. We're going to look at the next five. So if you're uh, reading ahead, you can read the next five verses up to verse 8. Uh, and we're going to look at, uh, and those verses sort of once again emphasize this idea of God's sovereign control over the universe. So it gets back to the idea of the election, right? You know, we can get all wound up in this and that. Um, but if we just will remember that God's in control, then the rest of it's sort of secondary. And we need, shouldn't get all tangled up in the politics and who said what and who's going to do what and all of that.
Amen. 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 All right.